Welcome to Tammy's Ferrocino Journal Club Casino Podcast, hosted by Tammy Ferrocino. And hello, everyone, and welcome to PerfWeb81. Um, we're having ourselves a heck of a time. Uh, so there's several things that I want to talk to you about today, if I can. Tammy, welcome back to the show. We haven't seen you in a while. Um, Coming back to a good one. Yeah, we've had a, it's a, it's a, it's a day. Um, we have technical difficulties. You can see the video wall is not working. The AC in the main part of the building is not working. Fortunately, it is working in here, so we're not all sweltering. Um, let's see, what else? Magic isn't here, and so- Our, our uh, production, one of our uh, production guys. Right, is not here. He's in Poland, having himself a great time. Um, we, as an organization, our clinical organization, is very busy right now, mm -hmm. and uh, we're, we're really hiring, so anybody that's interested, please let us know. But because of all of this increased workload, um, this is going to be Tammy's not last journal club in per forever, but you're going to be taking about a month or two off mm -hmm. and then re-engaging with PerfWeb probably in like September, maybe mm -hmm. October, somewhere yes. around there. If that works okay. Unless we get a bunch of people hired, we need to hire three. So if anyone's interested, please don't hesitate to call us. Um, we will post Tammy's personal number um, <laughs> on the uh, site here uh, shortly. So uh, with that said, um, let me go through some different things. We have a uh, contact number. So if you want to contact us and, uh, and just to let the guys know, David, just so you're aware, if you don't mind, I can't see what is going on. Like the monitor of the YouTube out, is it on? It's just not on. Yeah, it just isn't on. But we could take our, you know, you could get that. Um, hold on, everybody. We're going to. We're going to fix this so that I don't, because I'm already butchering it. I'm having a really heck of a day, and we're going to get to your thing eventually. And uh, there you go. I saw it click. I saw it move. Okay, it's coming on. And All right, David, thank you. And then uh, the call-in number, if you want to reach out to us uh, you can today, you can be live on the air. Hey, Medima. Medima Rose is on. She's always, I love her. She comes in all the time. It's good to see you. Uh, our scroll bar down at the bottom for all of our social media contact info. It's all down there. If you just look down at the scroll bar, you'll see all that. Look, Magic is online. Hey, Magic. Good to hey, see you. Magic. Hope you're enjoying Poland. Uh, I, we called him this morning when we had the problem with the video wall. He was in a, in a salt mine having himself a, a great time. He says, good job, guys. No, it's not a good job, Magic. I'm struggling. We miss you. Um, <laughs> yes, we're having a tough time today. And then the uh, MediWeb app, uh, I wanted to point that out to you too. There are two apps. There's a critical care perfusion app, and there's a standalone uh, IV dose calculator that you can get. You can go on the iTunes store, or you can go on the Google Play store. Works on both iOS and Android. And it's a really nice uh, tool to use. It's only $2.99 or $0.99 cents for the standalone IV rate calculator. But that is also included in the big app, the Perfusion. The $2.99 purchase will the get you both. will get you both. So it's really a pretty, really good value. And then we have the uh, PerfWeb podcasts, 
which you can find us on whatever your favorite streaming software is. And uh, with that said, that takes care of all of that. Okay, so the 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 his now the future of perfweb because we really need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, we're you know going to continue to bring programs. We're going to try. We have a program this Saturday. We have one tomorrow with Vanderbilt and Joey uh, Joey not Lapore is it Lapore? Joey Lapore, yeah, mm-hmm. is Joey going Lepore. to be our uh, our speaker tomorrow, and uh, then on Saturday we're doing simulation. And I don't know if it's possible, probably not really practical right now to show you our simulator, but we have a really, I think, nice looking professional level simulator. It's come a long way, just in a few months. It has come a long way and I'm very, very excited about it. I'm still working really hard on the uh, on using the Laradol product mm-hmm. um, and being able to uh, have that have that work out with the monitor and the ventilator and streaming mm-hmm. it and it's going to be really difficult for us because we don't have Magic here, who is our technical guru. David is the production and uh, graphics guy, and that's sort of his field of expertise. Magic really is the technical guy. And I have limited value except for sitting up here talking. And Tammy, of course, you have great value because you do the presentations. And, you know, I'm going to tell you, I totally understand it and totally respect it. But we're, I am, I'm just letting you know I'm going to miss you. Aww. It's really fun having you here. It really is. <laughs> and I'm going to miss it for a couple of months. But we have to get our staffing under control. And Tammy is the clinical manager of HET. She has a tremendous amount of responsibility and uh, she's having to sort of disengage just from her regular responsibilities to handle what is an increased caseload and decreasing numbers of staff because people have decided to leave. We do have two new hires coming, which is exciting, but we are hiring three people. We would like to find three. Um, We're certainly open to new grads. Uh, but I'm also very, uh, very uh, interested in people with three to five to 10 years. Even if you think you're getting sort of close to retirement and maybe you're looking for a place to spend the next three to five years before you retire, this would be a great opportunity for you. We value experience here tremendously. Absolutely. Okay, so yes, we have John on. Sure, you're, you're welcome. Hey, John, how are you? Great to see you. Oh, we can't hear him though. Yeah. There maybe. you go. So how about now? There how about go. now? I had my microphone uh, muted. So we didn't do a test run. David's overwhelmed there. So I'm coming to you straight out of the gate. Hope you can hear me and see me okay. Yeah. We can. Hey, it's good to see you. Great it looks like you're. You. It looks like you're working too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I happen to be to tee this up. Is everything okay? Mm-hmm. I had I, to tee this up. I was at a uh, doing a case the other day with uh, at at uh, Memorial, and I was talking with one of the anesthesiologists, and I happened to we started talking about racial racial bias in medicine, and it really just sort of happened in the conversation, um, uh, uh, you know, just by chance. It had nothing to do with I knew you were giving this talk, and it was organic. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was saying that, you know, though he has personally never really seen it, they were really taught in medical school 
that there is a uh, that there is a significant amount of racial bias when it comes to how they treat pain in patients, how they treat, you know, many other symptoms, disease processes, diabetes, mm-hmm. and that, um, that uh, uh, they were taught in school that that racial bias is not, is not deliberate, that that racial bias that, that uh, some physicians may have isn't even something that they would have. It just happens. If you can pause that for one moment, because I actually, when we go to our discussion panel, we're going to talk a little bit oh, about good, that. Good. But I just thought it was so interesting. It is interesting. I actually need to step away for just one second. Yes. I'll be right back. Uh, welcome, Min. He just hey, joined us. And here's Min, Min Tran. Min Tran is here and uh, always on time. We call him on time Min. That's what we call him. Here you go. And you got your mic on? Good morning. Take your time. Yeah, we're just getting yeah. started here. It's all good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then just mold it to your face how, wherever um, yeah. it feels comfortable. There you go. And turn it on. Make sure the green light's on. And you guys can hear Min? Hello, everyone. <laughs> all right. So we've got Min Tram. We've one. got Tammy Sparacino. We have John Ingram. And we have... Um, Joe Bosch. We're getting our stuff together now. We're finally together now. We okay. are ready to start and the program. We're ready to start. Okay, so you go ahead and get your program going. Okay. All right. Welcome, everyone. Good morning. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate your understanding with some of the technical difficulties we're having, um, but we're going to get through this. And we actually have a pretty interesting um, article that we're going to discuss today. And then uh, following that, we'll have uh, John Ingram on for his knowledge nuggets, which he is doing. What is the topic today? Uh, good question. John, um, what's your topic today? Uh, Wolf it, Parkinson like syndrome. Yeah, WPW. Yes. Okay. WPW. So we'll be following up with that. So that's going to be great. Okay, well, let's get started here. So today we are going to be talking about just a correspondence letter that was published in the New England uh, Journal of Medicine back in December of 2021. And it was written uh, by a a group of, uh, well, the article that they're referring to was uh, written by a group of gentlemen led by Dr. Sodding out of University of Michigan Medical School up in Ann Arbor. Okay, first off, why was this uh, paper published? Well, it was published because they wanted to look at racial bias in pulse oximetry measurements. The problem to be solved is, do do the current uh, market items that measure pulse oximetry do do so accurately um, in varying colors of skin? Because, of course, since it uses light, that could come into play. So they had a look at a pretty large cohort, and I'm just going to briefly read this to you. It's just like a two-page article. I'm going to read you some excerpts. So um, just to get started, oxygen is among the most frequently administered medical therapies with a level that is commonly adjusted according to the reading of the pulse oximeter. The measure um, patient, uh, which measures patient's oxygen saturation. 
Questions about pulse oximetry technology have been raised given its original development was in populations that were not racially diverse. The clinical significance of po uh, potential racial bias in pulse oximetry measurement is unknown. Our study involved adult patients who were receiving supplemental oxygen at the University of Michigan Hospital from January through July 2022, or 2020, and patients in intensive cares at 178 hospitals from 2014 to 2015. We analyzed paired pulse oximetry measurements of oxygen saturations and measurements of uh, um, arterial oxygen saturation in an arterial blood gas, with all evaluations performed within 10 minutes of each other. To ensure that the um, arterial oxygen saturation was directly measured by co-oximetry, we limited analysis to measure arterial blood gas that included carboxyhemoglobin and um, methyl, um, methmoglobin saturations. We tested for occult hypoxemia, which is an arterial oxygen saturation less than 88%, despite um, an oxygen saturation of 92 to 96 on the pulse oximetry. Among patients that identified their race as either black or white, since a low level of peripheral perfusion could lower the um, accuracy of the oxygen saturations, we also estimated the percentage of patients with occult hypoxemia after adjusting for age, sex, cardiovascular score on the SOFA scale. That was done with the University of Michigan cohort. Additional details regarding the methods um, are provided in a supplementary, uh, su supplementary appendix. We analyzed 10,789 pairs of measures of oxygen saturation by pulse oximetry and arterial oxygen saturation in arterial blood gas attained from 1,333 white patients and 276 black patients at the University of Michigan cohort. 37,308 pairs obtained from 7,342 white patients and 1,050 black patients in the multicenter cohort. Among the patients who had oxygen saturations of 92 to 96% on pulse oximetry, an arterial oxygen saturation of less than 88% was found in the following. 88 of the 749 um, patients that identified as black and 99 of the 2,780 of the patients that identified as white. These were in the University of Michigan cohort. The findings in, in the adjusted analysis were similar to those in the unadjusted analysis with the arterial blood gas saturation of less than 88% in 11.4 of the measurements in black patients and 3.6 in the measurement of the white patients. Okay, so now we're going to get to um, how they graphically represented this. So you can see here in this table that the white patients are represented by blue and the black patients are represented by red. 
Shown in comparison in this model are paired measurements of pulse oximetry readings of oxygen saturation, time matched, directly measured arterial oxygen saturations in, uh, among, hospital, among hospitalized patients who were stratified according to race. The shaded areas indicate arterial oxygen saturation of less than 88%. In the box plot, the horizontal line within each box represents the median. The top and the bottom of the box represents the upper and lower limits, and the whiskers represent 1.5 times the um, interquadrile range. Outliers outside the range are indicated by data points. Okay, so what this is showing us is that in the unadjusted analysis, the you area... Go, do you want to go back? Oh, sorry. Uh, hold on. There it is. Okay. In the unadjusted analysis, the area mm -hmm. under uh, for detection of the arterial blood gas saturation of less than 88% of the pulse oximetry was 0.84 among black patients and 0.89 among white patients with a P of 0.003. In the multi-center cohort, the unadjusted analysis involving the oxygen saturation of 92 to 96% showed arterial blood gas saturations of 88% in 160 of the 939 measurements in black patients and 546 of the 8,795 of white patients. So the conclusions our authors came to, in the two large cohorts, black patients had nearly three times the frequency of occult hypoxemia that was not detected by pulse oximetry as the white patients. Given the widespread use of pulse oximetry for medical decision making, these findings have some major implications, especially during the current corona disease 2019 pandemic. Our results suggest that the reliance on pulse oximetry to triage patients and adjust supplemental oxygen levels may place black patients at increased risk for hypoxemia. It is important to note that not all black patients who had a pulse oximetry value of 92 to 96% had occult hypoxemia. However, the variation in risk according to the race nece necessitates the integration of pulse oximetry with other clinical and patient reported data. And just a real brief uh, touch on pulse oximetry and understanding the basics. This is taken from the University of o um, uh, Iowa Health Center website. Hemoglobin is composed of four subunits, two alpha, two beta in adults, and they exist in two forms, either the T form, which is the deoxygenated, or the R form, which is the oxygenated. The T and R configurations lead to different electromagnetic absorption and therefore different emission of light. Oximeters operate based on this principle of different absorption and light emissions of the T and R configurations. The oximeter utilizes an electronic processor and a pair of small light-emitting uh, diodes, LEDs, facing a photodiode through a translucent part of the patient's body, usually a fingertip or an earlobe. One LED is red with a wavelength of 660 nanometers, and the other is infrared with a wavelength of 940 nanometers. 
Absorption of light at these wavelengths differs significantly between blood loaded with oxygen and blood lacking oxygen. Oxygenated hemoglobin absorbs more infrared light and allows more red light to pass through. Deoxygenated hemoglobin allows more infrared light to pass through and absorbs more red light. Okay, mm -hmm. so this was um, this uh, illustration was borrowed um, uh, from Adam or Adrian uh, Curtin, and it is available at the following. Um, creativecommons.org website for Wikimedia um, Commons. So what this is showing is that oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin absorption. So the LED sequence through the cycle of one on, yes, sure. Oh, oh, lost connection for the PowerPoint, got it. Are we back? Okay. All right. So I'll start again. So this figure three, um, it, it, it is showing the difference between oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin absorption. So the LED sequence through the cycle of one on, then the other, then the one off for 30 seconds, 30 times per second. The amount of light that is transmitted, in other words, not absorbed, is measured. These signals fluctuate in time because the amount of arterial blood that is uh, present increases or pulses with each heartbeat. By subtracting the minimum transmitted light from peak transmitted light in each waveform or wavelength, the effects of other tissues are corrected, allowing for the measurements of only the arterial blood. The ratio of the red light measurement to the infrared light measurement is then calculated by the processor, which represents the ratio of oxygenated hemoglobin to deoxygenated hemoglobin. This ratio is then converted to SpO2 by the processor and looked up on a table based on the uh, Beer-Lambert law. All right, that's it. Okay, so can you can you please just summarize the Beard Lambert law? <laughs> I'm not getting into that. This this what uh, the excerpt that I took from um, was from a published uh, chapter on the University of Iowa website. So if you really have an interest in this, there is um, about eight chapters on just this uh, in general. And pulse you can oximetry. Yes. Or racial bias. Uh, or just pulse oximetry. Pulse oximetry, just the general understanding. So if you really have an interest in that, you are welcome to go to their website and really get into it. Yeah, that's really, a, you know, I found, oh, you know what I find most fast, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here, but mm -hmm. I, pulse oximetry is a complicated thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's really a lot more complicated than you would think. I, I, I mean, uh, broken down, uh, I just wanted to, so that we have the basics, understand how it's even calculating that. Mm -hmm. And I think if we just think about um, the different shapes that oxygenated um, hemoglobin and deoxygenated hemoglobin have, you know, whether it is uh, relaxed or whether it is taut, then that helps you understand how it might absorb or not absorb at different mm. rates. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating because, of course, this is only measuring arterial blood, but when we do NEARS for cerebral oximetry, that's measuring mixed. Mm -hmm. So it's... It depends on the processor and how it, it applies yeah. it, right? It's amazing that mm -hmm. it can do that and only measure uh, 
arterial blood. I think that's fascinating. It is. Um, okay, so you were you had had me hold off on something because you wanted right. to bring it okay. up during the discussion. Well, and I wish I had printed the article out now. I didn't know we were kind of going to go this direction um, with it, but. This was a correspondence letter that was uh, published uh, December 2021, uh, or sorry, yeah, December 2021. And then shortly after, um, there was a response to this cor uh, correspondence um, with another correspondence from a, a different um, uh, individual. And he was talking about that he did not like the term racial bias in this particular article because racial bias implies something different than a machine not doing its particular job because it was not set up um, in parameters of with people with colored skin. Yes. And so there was a whole uh, back and forth about that. Um, and because he said r actual racial bias, uh, structural racial bias in medicine exists and so he didn't want this to be confused with that because um, there is a lot of distrust in certain ethnic groups with medicine because they believe there is racial bias. And you were talking a little bit about that. Whether it's intentional or unintentional is, is not really what uh, the point of that bias is, right? And so the authors of this article responded back that um, it, it matters little that racial bias is intentional or unintentional. This machine does have a bias in that it does not provide uh, the same accurate information uh, for some uh, people who have colored skin versus some people who, um, uh, who or for people who mostly have light colored skin. So is it the, is it the increase or decrease in melanin or is it it does just not it does not get into that but i would imagine so because that i i think would i mean it's just common sense to me and john feel free to jump in here if you want but um it's common sense to me that if we're measuring how light passes through the skin through mm -hmm. a translucent i believe is the um mm -hmm. term they used portion of the patient's body mm -hmm. then the darkness of the tissue that it's going through could play a role. Yeah, it'll sure. It'll Im impede the light. Right. The brightness of the light and right. yeah, how sensitive the pulse ox is able to uh, pick up the transmission of the light being reflected. Yeah. yeah I mean, that I makes sense so. to me. It does. It makes sense to me too. So, so can we, can we morph out of this and go into um, racial bias in general? Act, yes. I just want to give John a, a chance yeah. to comment on this. Do you oh, have yeah, any guys, comments or mind, questions? If you don't mind, I actually read this article and a second article, Tammy. There's another article done, a big study done, came up with similar results. But I actually have four things I want to point out here real quick, if you guys don't mind. Uh, I personally disagree that there is a big difference between intentional racial bias, racial bias and non-intentional racial bias. So I take issue with whatever that person said there, that there is doesn't matter which one it is. It does matter which one it is because a mechanical medical instrument is mm. uh, not intentionally being racially biased or a person is and so we might be correct the, uh, the, the the mechanical default with the machine that is innocently just doing what right but that's, that's not one of my points uh, first of all you know there has to be a discussion about what is the general inaccuracy anyway okay. mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. The pulse oximetry itself, nothing is perfect. And right. then, of course, there's an inaccuracy of sampling of blood and saturation numbers back. None of these things are perfect. They all have a one or two percent or so variance of accuracy in and of themselves. No test is perfect. But the other thing I think, you guys are talking about the level of melanin, and I think if it was solely that, the numbers would be much, much higher mm. with the racial bias. It would be probably more in 70, 80, 90 percent of, of uh, black people would have this bias, rather than I think it's 17 percent in black people and 6 percent right. in white people. So I don't think it's only the melanin, but does intellectually appealing to think there's some factor there. But the other thing I was going to bring up, too, is, you know, are these pulse oximetry uh, instruments, are they calibrated per patient? like every 24 hours, like we do a lot of things? I don't think they are. I don't think they are, John. I no. really don't think so. That would no, be something that if, you know, if you drew an ABG, like we do on our cardio ops and ECMO, you know, we have an SVO2 there and a hemoglobin right. and a medicate. And once a shift, we draw a blood sample and we recalibrate those numbers every 24 hours so they're reasonably accurate. Seems to me that this would go a long way in a patient by patient uh, Case Absolutely. I don't think this system is set up to do that. Well, and I, 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 I'm not familiar with all the different, uh, you know, suppliers of pulse oximetry, um, you know, programs or machines, but it does seem like that if that has not been developed, that should definitely be a part of the future of pulse oximetry because just like you mm -hmm. said, then you have a more accurate baseline and then the processor should be able to apply that and we could get more accurate numbers. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, go ahead, John. One, I'm sorry. More, one more big factor here. When you're talking about COVID patients, which one study, I don't know if it was this one or the other one I read, with strictly COVID patients, but regardless, um, patients are on very high amounts of vasoconstrictors. Surely the level of vasoconstriction, especially peripheral vasoconstriction, which we see you know, enormously in these patients, seems to me that would play a role in this as well. So I think there's a lot of things sort of to, uh, to look well, into here. I do think they talked about that they, they don't go into detail, because again, this was just uh -huh. kind of a, a correspondence letter, but they do talk about that they stratified, uh, let's see, age, sex, and cardiovascular score. So the SOFA should, uh, score should uh, have uh, an impact on how much vasoconstrictive uh, medications mm -hmm. that they were on. So that, mm -hmm. that might be adjusted just ever, uh, you know, somewhat anyway. Mm -hmm. But it would be interesting to see uh, their data uh, on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think, think so, so too. So. But what I find fascinating about this, and, and again, we're sort of moving away from pulse oximetry per se, and going more into this concept of racial bias. And I think it's interesting that you point out that somebody had said, you know, this is really a technological shortcoming, right. not a real racial bias Not, however he called it a structural i think structural sure because i guess you know. that's you know what they call it when it's just what you were talking about at the opening of the show oh okay so there's structural bias yes um at least it's considered to Con be considered to be something exists. right um and you know I, I, it's and i think that's where i want to go with this conversation well yeah. is whenever we talk about things like this this 
article, Racial Bias in Pulse Oximetry, only looked at Af dark-skinned people, African-Americans, or black people, whichever term we're going to use yeah. here, um, or, but we don't, uh, and white. There was no Asian. Mm -hmm. Min is obviously Vietnamese, mm -hmm. and he has a, 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 a skin tone that is typical mm -hmm. of that part of mm -hmm. Southeast Asia, mm -hmm. okay? And does that affect anything? We don't know, we don't look at that, but we also don't really, you know, I'm old enough to remember a time when we were, the country was, had a huge number of Vietnamese refugees that were coming into the country. And there was a tremendous amount of structural bias sure. towards, uh, towards that group. And uh, I think we've seen it with uh, the Indian population. I think we've seen it with the other uh, Pakistani, Arabic, sure. right. You know, and I guess my real question is, is there, you know, do you believe that there is, and I guess the, the, there should never be any, but do you really think there is structural bias mm -hmm. in healthcare? from a healthcare practitioner's perspective. So you and I are both considered white, right? Mm -hmm. You're considered Asian, Vietnamese. Um, we have uh, uh, Chris, you're considered Hispanic. You know, Hispanics have a have varying skin tones. Caucasians have varying skin tones. What's well, the I think difference that's between the important I? point to actually make before you go on is and not just skin tone, but features. Right, but I think the point is this article wasn't written on levels of skin color. Mm -hmm. They simply had a questionnaire, and either people identified their race as white, yes, or black, and that can mean a lot of different things. Because as you know, no. Uh, person is just one thing mm -hmm. and so that has to do True. with a lot of variability i mean taking um it, it just looking at a white person i'm white so i i know what color my skin is normally when but I you can identify as something else if you want just so you know um <laughs> so i know what my skin looks like when i'm not tan but my sister who has very similar genetics um, as I do, we're, you know, biological sisters, has a different skin tone. So it's not taking into consideration all of those nuances. We would both write down the same thing that we um, identify our race as white. Mm -hmm. They're not looking at that. I think this article or correspondence letter was really talking about the study not in um, such a uh, strict scientific terms of it is so much uh, for general population. Uh, you know, they're, they're quick to point out that not all people who um, selected black had any sort of uh, deviation from what the normal results would have been expected mm -hmm. in the pulse oximetry. So I think it's just opening the door that we need to look at that perhaps many of the earlier medical studies for devices or medications or whatever mm -hmm. may have not been racially diverse. And so in moving forward with medicine, we need to make sure that either we get new information, do new studies that are um, uh, representative 
represent the community that these devices are going to serve. Yes. And I think that's kind of the point that they're making. Yeah. And I'm not trying to bash this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, I'm not, you know, I know I'm, I'm Joe Basha, but I'm not trying to <laughs> bash this. Um, I'm, I'm really just trying to have a provocative conversation mm -hmm. about racial inequities that are perceived or are real. And I'm frankly not really sure. I, I think they're I, absolutely I, real. You do. Mm -hmm. and, and I find that interesting because this is what I've learned from this. This is my takeaway. Mm -hmm. My takeaway of this is patient X shows up in the ER. Patient X is of African-American descent. Patient X is complaining about uh, dyspnea. Uh, their complaint is that they're dyspneic, they can't breathe, they're, they are, they are, they are uh, uh, feeling oxygen starved, uh, whatever, they're tachycardic, everything else, but their pulse ox reading is, re pulse ox is reading higher than one would expect those symptoms to represent. So now you have to take the next leap and say, I'm going to ignore all of these other things that are telling me this patient's hypoxic all of the other symptoms that I'm seeing, uh, whether they're observations or symptoms of the patient, and I'm going to just believe this number and send this patient home and not treat them appropriately. Well, now that's either going to be, as you stated, structural, in which case it has to be deliberate, um, and or it's going to be oversight and over-trusting a technology that could have an error. So I think there is a good message here. But, well, I don't think all you know. of what's considered structural is intentional. It's not. That doesn't mean that there is malintent to um, not treat patients the same based on race or situation, whether it be a homeless person. Because, you know, you hear stories about, you know, certain people might frequent ERs because they might be looking for a warm place to be, something to eat, perhaps some medication. And so there can be um, a real uh, desensitization to those types of patients, right? But that doesn't mean that it is necessarily intentional. So someone may come in who is saying they are short of breath, they can't catch their breath, and if you just throw a pulse oximeter on them and say, you're fine, and move along, that could still be structural because you are looking at someone and you're only using this one device. In medicine, we never use one thing, right? <laughs> Maybe we need to check their heart rate. Maybe we need to ask them a few questions. Maybe just have them be observed for 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Go sit Listen over to here. Sounds, right? right, exactly. Listen mm -hmm. to breath sounds. Mm -hmm. So structural doesn't, I mean, sure, I'm sure there are people who are intentionally biased against certain types of people or groups of people, but I don't think that that's really what that that term is talking about. It could even be something like um, where it's not necessarily race, but culture comes into play. Mm -hmm. I know I've had some training on this that, you know, when you're in an ICU and you might be um, assessing a patient, talking to um, uh, the patient about being discharged and the things that they're going to have to do, and you're talking to whomever their caregiver is going to be, there can be cultural bias in that, in the way that um, 
the nurse or the doctor is delivering the information is not the way that this person's um, is used to uh, getting the information or having it delivered to someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and so there can be bias in that. And so there can be a, um, you know, a mix up and just even in that type mm -hmm. of information. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, that's what I kind of think it's more about, not mm -hmm. just that we're, we, meaning healthcare, have people who are deliberately trying to not treat patients the same. But I do think some there are rare circumstances, of but course. they do exist where that happens. I do want to bring men in, but Medima brought up a very good point. She said, you know, even vitamin D absorption is affected by skin tone. Yes. Which is, you know, very true. Very good point. Absolutely. So I do think that skin tone mm -hmm. makes is is definitely a, but I do before I bring you in, I have to tell you this. Um I and I, I, I still feel very bad about it. Let me tell you what, I it bothers me still to this day because I offended someone so horrible one time and uh, I felt horrible about it but you know I really never got a chance to reconcile it uh, but it was a patient the patient was african-american patient was you know sign up but you can't see the sign no so very dark mm -hmm. very dark-skinned and uh, uh, I remember there was there was this concern about him being severely hypoxic and his family was there and I was like, well, look at his gums. Mm -hmm. And although that made sense technically, I, I, I could tell that it was, the patient was too, too, too confused to, to, to be offended, but the family certainly was. I could tell they were. But I guess I could have said sclera. I don't know how else to have addressed that, but it was the best choice that I had at the time. But I know it offended them. And it still bothers me to this day that I, that, that I said it insensitively. Mm -hmm. I, I said it insensitively, mm -hmm. but I didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. Right. Right? You understand well, I mean, what I'm saying? That's the whole point, right? Even with uh, what the example I was giving about the, you know, the, the doctor or the nurse that is giving instructions for post care, most often it's said with the right intention, right? But there mm -hmm. can still be some kind of bias in um, how it is uh, delivered. Mm -hmm. Or offensiveness to it unintendedly. Right. And that can affect the message. Right. And how do we address all of that? I do want to drag, drag you into this conversation because you do have, you know, unique characteristics. And there was a time when, you know, your mom probably very well remembers a time when, you know, Vietnamese in this country were looked upon very suspiciously all of the time. And there was a lot of bitterness because you were, you know, your, your, uh, 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 those folks were coming into the country. Mm -hmm. There were opportunities for them to try and get them established with business grants and things like that. And it was an important thing that we did. But, you know, how did how does your community view that from that perspective? In other words, do you do you ever sense that today? Do you ever sense um, that? Not that now, but um, I mean, I can say that I've, you know, seen it and, you know, seen it growing up i mean you know i mean I, I was born in 1978 so obviously that was close to a time after you know mm -hmm. everything started and yeah mm -hmm. the influx of uh yeah. refugees I mean, vietnam ended you, know, you were yeah. four years old oh, yeah yeah um or, five, or three so three. i mean i i think that's just what we deal with with society you know um you know this is a culture shock for everybody you know getting um seeing new people different people adjusting 
and and then being as being the person who is part of the culture of the family of the the refugees and uh you learn to adapt and you you just kind of just go with what you can do and 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 earn your place in 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 where you 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 feel like you belong in society education is key right i mean the education of people in any culture and trying to understand others often if you just have some information mm-hmm. to be able to apply to situations mm-hmm. that can really help cut down on some of that mm-hmm. yeah and how much of what we're seeing now with you know adding to all of this and say this i want to be i want to say this uh, politically correct if i can but now that we're adding to all of this um, gender fluidity and selection and pronouns and all of these other things for things that, you know, to most people are sort of obvious. Mm-hmm. You're a man, you're a woman, a man, but there's all of these other things. How much of that is going to either help or harm what is still seemingly an issue with us just dealing with cultural differences. Mm -hmm. So is that going to help to improve that and move it along faster or is it going to hinder it? Because coming from my generation, an older person, I guess, in all of this, it's very difficult for me. I don't think it's as, I don't know, I don't think it's as difficult for you, but it's very difficult for me. Well, I don't know that that's really a measure of how society is going to be more inclusive and try to be more um, educated about different peoples. I think there's always some group that is overlooked um, and uh, you know it's just varying at different 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 groups at different times depending on kind of what's going on and I think uh, awareness um, uh, it is often raised during that time and uh, sometimes there are you know different uh, methods laws put in place to protect certain groups but that really is not much different than any other group that has uh, struggled with those same things. I mean, it comes down to looking at, you can look at civil rights, you can look at refugees, you can look at all kinds of things. It's always about people wanting to be able to have their place and be accepted. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that this particular, what's going on uh, currently is going to help or hurt any of that other stuff. I Mm -hmm. think it's its own individual thing. I had one last question for you, and then I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of stop. And I know you need to go, uh, so we're gonna try to get you out of here a little early. Um, I had one other question, and actually is coming from Modima, and she stimulated the question because her point was, what about people with you know, with calloused hands, carpenters, mechanics, things like that? Yes, that's did a good they, point. Did they? put the pulse socks only on the finger they don't or because we frequently use it on the ear they do not say they don't say they don't put say. it on the nose yeah they just um, said it uh, frequently on the forehead on a, in a translucent portion of the body okay so there's no specific they never specified where the pulse oximeter was placed. again this this is more of a 
you know, uh, it's a correspondence letter. It's not right. deep in the data. Right. It's not a. It's not a. It's not actual study. Did it? Did it mention anything about? Uh, I know it mentioned that uh, amount of blood volume could could factor and skew mm -hmm. the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. So John brought that up. So if you're if you're, if you're, you're anemic, hemoglobin is low. If you're right? yeah yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Or you they, have and high carboxyhemoglobin, or you have African American hemoglobin. Tend to be common commonly yeah. uh, a gene uh, hereditary of. Uh, Sickle cell anemia? Mm -hmm. Sickle cell, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or you have somebody who's hypotensive on pressors, and you can't, and of course, but they have an SQI mm -hmm. that reads whether the signal is good or not. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you know, I think it's a great device. I mean, it's a standard of care. You would never have a patient in a critical care unit or an operating room without a pulse oximeter on. But I don't think you should just 100% depend or rely on any one thing. No, it's just a tool um, and it's a trending tool. It's non-invasive, um, you know, and anytime we have those types of devices, they're just used to give us information to help put the puzzle, you know, right. together on the whole patient. Right. You know, just, just like if the point of care devices we use in the operating room during bypass. If I get a strange result on any of my electrolytes or my um, uh, ABG, I'm not going to just rely on that. I'm going to repeat the test, look at other factors, maybe send the test to the lab, because they're all just parts, they all just provide parts of information and they all have their own issues uh, where they can have uh, inaccuracies. And if you don't now, I don't know if you pulse. I'm not sure because I don't like to pulse on bypass, but I know if you're I do on, whatever my surgeon asks. I know if you're, I know. I don't until they yell at me. Um, are you pulsing? No. I didn't think it's a good idea with that femoral cannula. Well, I really like pulsing. Okay, I'll pulse. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I don't remember seeing a pulse ox reading. With continuous flow, you're not going to get a pulse ox mm -hmm. reading. Do you see it on all of the patients you pulse on or some of them, or do you have an idea? I have never actually paid attention to that during bypass. I'll have to do that. There's yeah. no, you never really get a pulse ox reading on continuous flow. Yeah, no, no for you sure. never will. Right, you right. won't ever. Never, right, but, but on pulsing, I have, we know. Pulsing, you, you usually get a SATS. Yeah. You do? You do get a SATS. So you do. So I've you see it. it. You I don't notice it. it. I don't notice I it's not something I, I track during right, the bypass. I, I, well, I, I know exactly. It. I, 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 I wouldn't either because I'm so used to continuous flow. John, do you guys pulse in the operating room there and read no, pulse ox? I'm sorry? No. No, no, Yeah. Things real quick. With regard to where they placed the uh, pulse ox, they, they kind of took care of that with the large number of patients. That they, That's true. They, they, they had such a large, large number, it's almost 9,000 um, whites, and I guess another 1,400, they, they probably, um, but they came up with about a 70% inaccuracy on black people and 6% inaccuracy on white people. Mm -hmm. They probably took care of whether somebody had uh, a thick finger right Yeah, that's true because they did have, um, you know, what almost 11,000 pairs of measured oxygen saturations uh, just in the University of Michigan cohorts. I mean, that's a lot of data. Mm -hmm. So let me just say this too you know, when you let's just call it technological bias, you develop a machine trying to target the most 
uh, average patient that you're going to find. There's bias between, there's technological bias all over the place between male and female, between skinny and obese, between pediatric and adult. You develop a device and you can't possibly encompass all of those things unless maybe you're doing a routine calibration, which I mentioned earlier is probably the best uh, thing to, to, to keep this on, on, on the rails with any given patient. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I mean, the FDA is set up to when you propose a device and you say this device works this way and that way, and we did so many patients, I think it's their job to say, well, how many diverse population did you include in this and how was the right. outliers were there and is there anything you can be done about it? So I think we should put a little bit back on the FDA with this, but we're, we're not going to get to a point where we can have non-bi, even, you know, there's many papers been published, been published between the way we conduct cardiopulmonary bypass on should be different than the way we conduct bypass on an adult male. There's not mm -hmm. much difference genetically for things that we should be doing. And certainly between the middle age and pediatrics, and then you have obese patients, which by the way, we don't even have an accurate way of completing, computing their accurate PSA. We have right. debates about how you can compute, co computate the accurate PSA of an obese person, correct? Or a muscular person versus a person that's non-muscular. So, mm -hmm. right. you know, we have a, a lot of technological bias that we have to think about. And, you know, when you come up with the pulse ox, and you guys remember the CDI that's still out there, a lot of people are using these things now as absolutes. These were meant to be, as Tammy said, trending devices. Right, they're trending devices. You for the baseline, and then you see it go up and down. That you can probably trust. The absolute number you have to verify with the lab. Right, absolutely. And yeah. just on the point about the, just for anyone who's not familiar, um, anytime you have a medical device, the FDA um, uh, keeps a record of inaccuracies, and they're supposed to be reported. So those they, they those should be shared and um, or available to share. So you know, an end user could certainly look into oh, I have these devices that I'm responsible uh, in using, that they're going to give me the information that I need to perform my job. It, the end user is certainly uh, very capable of going to the FDA, looking up particular devices, and looking at any biases um, that they may have. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's available. That's out there. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, I think those are very good points. I think that there's technological challenges as John, I think, said uh, the way he said it, and whether it be skin tone, whether it be skin uh, condition, whether it be obesity, temperature, whether it be temperature, male, female, lots of things. Um, there's there's so many because you remember back in the days there was a time when men and it was considered women were not treated for heart disease the same way men. Men would go in, they, women had atypical angina, and they would, uh, they would usually get blown off as another nervous woman and given a couple of pills and sent home, and they would have MIs and they would die. Yes. And so there was an inherent bias towards women thinking, yes. well, what would you have all the stress associated with heart disease for? You're just a homemaker. Right. And, you know, I mean, so... This, 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 this has been going on for a very long time, but it seems to, in my view, and I, I don't mean to belabor this point, but it just seems in my view that it continues to be 
every time we talk about racial bias, we only talk about two races. It's just, it, it, and, and it's so much deeper than that, and it transcends any one race, really, at the end of the day, in my view. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's an interesting topic that, that we could, you know, I'm looking at it from one way. You, you, your presentation was really something else altogether, and I know we've, I've sort of taken us off track with that. But we have two people uh, we have to spin the wheel for. Okay. Um, Modima is here still. Patrick Hollywood had made a comment. I asked if he was still here, but Modima has made so many incredible com uh, comments and very good points, and I appreciate it so very much. But Modima, I, we still don't have your address. I think we owe you some stuff from before. So we really owe you, like, we're going to have to send one of those big seven, big, big uh, airliners that you see with them shoving stuff in it and flying it over to wherever you are. So we're going to spin the wheel for you. And, and this is the last time Tammy's going to spin it. She's going to do it twice for you and for Patrick. Um, if Patrick responds, mm -hmm. but, but right now it's just for you. But this is the last time until either sometime in September or October, right? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we want to continue this. This is a really great thing, and, and, and I don't want, to, want it to end. But, you know, you got to take a break, and we understand that. But we're going to miss you. And she even Modima says she's very sorry. She watches the show only because it's you. <laughs> now what am I gonna do? What it's, am I gonna do? We're just going. How am I gonna? How am I gonna replace you? It's how? just summer holiday. Just summer holiday. That's okay. all it is. So spin all the right, wheel. here we go. God, I hope your spin isn't isn't an aortic dissection. It isn't because I never <laughs> accept those. No, you, yeah, no. I'm telling you, no. You get what you get. No, you don't. Oh, oh. No. Oh, she's got cups. cups. Okay. Hey. Got cups. All right. And okay. Then, uh, what about Patrick? And then you have uh, Patrick. So uh, spin. Well, spin it for Patrick. And Patrick, if you watch this or you're catching up or you had to pause it, whatever, and you finally get to this point, um, send us your uh, contact at perfusioneducation.com. And you get t shirt. A cup. Well. It's a okay. cup day. It's a cup day. So I'll send cups. I'll send at least two. So that you and your significant other can enjoy. Uh, where is our cup? I don't think we have them out right now. There, there. We don't have any cups. Oh wait, throw, throw me a cup. Yeah, there you go, Chris. I'm still waiting on my cup. Yeah, where, where's, where's your cup? Dude, you can. I don't know. I don't have any. I have an cup. Amazon Listen, gift card. Thank you, sir. And I, I, we're falling apart here. Look at this. Nice cup. Look, it even has a coffee stain on it. Oh my God, this is dreadful. So you won't get this one though, but you will get some of these lovely perfweb cups. They're white and red, and uh, red inside. We need to make some of these with your picture on it. They get oh, a please do not cup. do I think that. that would be great. Uh, I, that. I will agree to cups. Um, saying um, Tammy Sparacino Journal Club, but only if John comes up with some clever little quote, not my face, that we can well, put on okay. there. Well, we have it. We have the, the Tammy Sparacino Journal Club Casino. Oh, yeah. I guess we could just do that. And have the wheel on it. Oh, and, you, you know, next thing well, you know, we'll need knowledge nuggets, and we can have one of John's favorite uh, quotes that he likes to do. <laughs> absolutely. Quote of the day. Okay. Yeah. Logo, Thank you. Oh, well, I'm sorry, John. That casino logo you just had up there a minute ago was fabulous. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was. Throw yeah. that back up, David. The Throw casino, casino logo. logo. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what. David is the... He's not the tech guy, but he is the, he is the graphics guy. There you go. Guy. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get some cups that say that. Yeah, we'll just look just like that. 
That can be on one side of the cup, and we'll do one knowledge nuggets on the other side. Yes, let's do that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Awesome. And, and I get and I get left out again. I guess nothing on the third side of the cup. You have PerfWeb. Oh, Every perf the, sh <laughs> the the whole program platform is named after okay. you. Okay. All right. I know you need to go. Um. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to thank everyone for tuning in. We especially appreciate when you interact with us, and uh, we will get back to you on the next journal club date. But please join. Um, continue uh, to on with this program and stay for John's presentation and please join tomorrow uh, Joe's gonna have Vanderbilt here and then Saturday there's gonna be exciting things going on the simulator the simulator yeah, I know they can't see it but you got to tell them what this looks like okay so we have moved from you know like a bucket practically probably a kitchen bowl it wasn't even a bucket and now we have a full-sized male mannequin male in all ways <laughs> <laughs> and we've got ecmo Tammy Pete. yeah I, I just had to know where the foley was going was it just taped up in there it's not it is properly in place we've got chest tubes we've uh we've got um our ecmo running uh we have our simulator program hooked up to it we're gonna have our ventilator program hooked up to it uh so it oh there it is we have to name him I'll, that's your job. Okay, we're going to come up with a fun name for our um, our participant there, who's going to help everybody um, learn a little bit more about ECMO management. Mm -hmm. But for today, I just want to thank you guys, and uh, please stay and enjoy John's knowledge nuggets. All right, sounds good, Tammy. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you soon. All right. Thank you, Tammy. Oh, I don't. I don't need an applause. You get one that, from That's me. weird. You get one from <laughs> that's me. That's so weird. The audience is applauding. I can hear them. We can hear the audience here. Okay, guys, can you hear me okay? Yes, John, we hear can you. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, John, we hear you. All right. Yeah, I can hear. Hi, Timbo. Hey, Chris. You can give that to your to David. Okay. So anyway, so it's good to see you, man. I got the uh, I got the. In fact, I've, we're gonna go grab lunch after the show, and I've got the ventilator, the learner, and the uh, monitor, and I'm gonna kind of show you the layout, how it works, and then let you take it with you mm -hmm. and uh and and figure it out okay i'm excited about it yeah but we'll work on it together okay. during well go have lunch okay. so uh min and i are going to go grab lunch and uh min has been with the group for 
eight eight years eight years, eight years. Mm -hmm. gosh dog mm -hmm. he's a long he's a he's a he's a, a vet here and uh man i'll tell you what and uh who man we gotta hire some people dude you do. You we do. need john are you looking <laughs> come on down you on. looking to get out of there come on down dude we need to hire some people well you know Can it's interesting I started my Texas license application, and uh, that is really a whopper ordeal there. I'm not even about a halfway done with it. It is. It's very, it is an arduous process here in Texas to get a license. And, man, I'll tell you what, once you get it, you don't want to do anything to lose it. So, you know, but, uh, but you know, I mean, I've, I'll tell you what, man, we've had, you know, and, and do you mind if I – before we actually start on your knowledge nuggets, do you mind if I just get into a conversation? Absolutely. That's just about point. things that have nothing to do with our knowledge nuggets. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I was talking to somebody recently uh, who would be in a position to know that uh, we have, there's about uh, eight schools or 12 schools that have recently opened because the, uh, there's a need and that of course schools. yeah wow. that many schools and um in fact they just opened three different two different schools i'm sorry two different schools in nashville one of them is taking 20 students 20 or 24 students at one time per session not per year per whatever their process oh, is wow. but at one time i don't really know what their process is but there's a, uh, uh, I mean, I know what's going to happen. I've seen this before. And the big companies are very much involved in this because they, their labor costs have gone through the roof. Our labor costs have gone through the roof. I mean, it's just a reality. It's a supply-demand issue. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, we've, we had a, a guy, I won't mention his name at all, but, you know, somebody who did something that was you know you just can't do you just cannot do it mm. and man i'll tell you what you're in the middle of a of a uh, of what is a shortage of 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 you know trained perfusionist professionals that do our job and you have to let somebody go you have any idea how hard that is but when you're confronted with, I don't really have a choice. I don't have a choice here. I have to do this. And it, 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 is, it, it was very difficult. We had two people leave right at the, at the what was the beginning of the, of, you know, like the beginning third of the COVID insanity. And that resulted in people just working ridiculous amount of hours mm -hmm. and i mean i did and you know it's funny because we had several months where we were closed down mm -hmm. but they didn't start yet mm -hmm. but there were people doing nothing literally if mm -hmm. you remember oh, yeah. i mean doing nothing and it was from a business operator's perspective dude it was frightening mm -hmm. But then, you know, it flipped, it went the other way. And then now I have people that have, have gone through a period of time where there was literally no work-life balance. There was just work. There was no life at all, including me. I mean, it was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. I was exhausted. I'm still affected by it. Mm -hmm. But there were other younger people that came in at that time and they, they're like, I, I don't, I don't want to do this job. 
I mean, there's one that's that's leaving, doesn't even have a job, mm -hmm. um, and doesn't care. And uh, but we have two other people coming now that it's. But now the schedule seems, knock on wood, you know. I mean, I know that I say something, but things are becoming a little more normal, mm -hmm. a little more sort of predictable. And uh, it makes no sense to leave right now. Mm -hmm. It makes more sense right. to stay, build the team back up, right. and then you have a great place to be. But they don't see that. Mm -hmm. They don't have the commitment we've had. They don't have, they don't even understand what the word commitment means. Mm -hmm. And it's just so incredibly frustrating. I think John had a call. What's your view on all of this? You know, uh, it, it's it's hard to to really put a finger on you know what controls all that. Sometimes you know we can't control the things that that happen that makes us make the decisions to transition or leave a job for another. But you know, I, I totally agree with you. You know, um, maybe some people are burnt out due to the um, the overwhelmingness of of what we went through during the pandemic and how hard we worked. You know, not you know day in day out. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't remember the times when we were at home doing nothing mm -hmm. and still getting, getting paid, you know? Well, yeah, you know, there's that, and that's a very good point. Mm -hmm. They don't remember. They didn't, they don't yeah. remember that. Some don't, some do. I think you do. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, we as perfusionists and, you know, I mean, I, I think we just, we, I think we have pretty good quality of life. Oh, I think yeah. we have pretty, we good, get, we get, well, no, I'm talking about our, our compensation. Compensation, for sure. I think 100%. we make pretty decent money. We do. You know, for, yeah. for, for, you know. The I mean, demand that, that, that's required from us. Right. The commitment. Yes. I mean, it's pretty doggone good. Well, mm -hmm. we have high responsibility. Mm -hmm. I mean, we deserve. I think everyone's underpaid in our profession. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have a tremendous amount of responsibility. Mm -hmm. But I think we still have a pretty decent lifestyle that's mm -hmm. afforded us. But it's not a lifestyle anyone would have mm -hmm. with a just a 40 hour a week job where mm -hmm. you go to work seven to three, five days a week, mm -hmm. off every weekend, off on holidays and things like that. Those jobs exist, they do. but those are not jobs that compensate you the way this profession compensates us sure. by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. So you know, you can't expect the job to be, you know, 10% call uh, or no call at all. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants no call. Mm -hmm. Well, I want no call, mm -hmm. but no call doesn't exist right. in this profession. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do, are you seeing that there? I know your group is very different out there. You got a very interesting, they've, they've got a great system, but you go other places. What are you seeing, John? It's, it's, it's normalizing back to the way it was back, you know, two years ago, pre-COVID. We're getting all of our, you know, mix of patients back. I think we're back to doing heart transplants, lung transplants. And we're seeing a mix of, uh, of cardiovascular patients, you know, like we used to long ago. Our schedule, you know, it took a while, but it seems like it's beefed back up pretty good. We're pretty busy. You know? 